Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. All right, let's jump in here in Mark 10, starting in verse 13. And um, you're gonna, when, when we read this passage, you're going to be like, this is the passage you chose on Baby Blessing Sunday, real original, right? Okay. People were bringing children to Jesus so that he would bless them. But the disciples scolded them. And when Jesus saw this, he grew angry. He said to them, allow the children to come to me. Don't forbid them because God's kingdom belongs to people like these children. And I assure you, whoever doesn't welcome or receive God's kingdom like a child will never enter it. And then he hugged the children and he blessed them. Like I said, not, not the most original choice for Baby Blessing Sunday. This is a, a story that most of you, if you've been around the Jesus world, the Jesus community for long, you've certainly heard this story. Or if you've ever read from a children's Bible to a kid, you have read this story. You know, we got a couple of children's Bibles at home, and in every one of those, you got Noah's Ark, Jonah and the whale, and Jesus blessing the babies. Everything else is optional. <laughs> Rest of the story, optional. Those are the only three things that matter in most children's Bibles. And uh, really, the more I've thought about it, the less that I think that this is a story for kids. Although I think it certainly speaks an encouraging word to our children. But I think that in this story, there's a word for parents, there's a word for grandparents, there's a word for educators and the people like um, Donnie and Hannah, our, our youth ministers, or Michelle and Stephanie, our children's ministers, or our volunteers in the children's wing, or our volunteers in the youth. There's, there's a word here for anybody who, who cares about children. And then I think there's also a word for everybody here. But first, there are the, did you notice it starts with these people who were bringing children to Jesus? And, I, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess these were their parents. You know, maybe there's a grandparent or two in the mix bringing some kids to Jesus. But the first lesson is not even from Jesus in this story. The first lesson, I think, is from these people, presumably parents, who have canceled their tennis lessons, bought plane tickets, taken off work, to get their kids in the vicinity of this guy, Jesus, who've stopped every other important thing they have going on in their adult lives so that they can get their kids in the vicinity of this guy, Jesus, because they think that there is something that Jesus can do for their kids that nobody else can do, which is bless them. I, I connected with an old friend from college not long ago, and um, He's in the Dallas area. We got to talking, and I, you know, I know a lot of the churches in the Dallas area. That's where I grew up. And I asked him, I was like, where are y'all going to church these days, you and your family? And he said, oh, we haven't stepped into a church in 10 years. He said, and they began to talk about his kids. And he said, you know, what, what we're hoping for our kids is that, you know, they'll just kind of like find the right way, that they'll find meaning in their life, that they'll have a worldview and a faith that's valuable to them, but we don't want to push it on them. We want them to find it for themselves. And um, I love this guy a lot. 
I do wonder what the, the people bringing their children to Jesus in this story would have to say to them. You know, the people who have stopped everything else because they think there is something that this guy can do for their kids that no one else in the world can do. So they don't care what else their kids find on their own. They're going to make sure their kids find him. Or they're going to make sure their kids are in his vicinity. Came across this article the other day. The article was called How to Disciple Your Children into Church Dropout Status. Now, it's an ironic title. Because, of course, none of us want that. We don't want our kids to drop out of church. But let's be honest, young people are leaving the church in droves. The church with a capital C is hemorrhaging young people. And I think what a lot of parents think is that this is the church's fault. Church isn't doing something for my kids. And this is why I said, no, no, parents, if you want to contribute to this, here's what you should do. You should attend church sporadically. You should complain about your church in front of your children. You should insulate your children from the rest of the body. You should ignore their crucial questions of faith. You should church hop. And you should marginalize or muzzle the gospel in your home. Ouch. Like how easy it is to slip into any of those six. For some of us, all of the six. And what we want more than anything is for our kids to be in the vicinity of Jesus. And sometimes what we are doing at home is teaching them the opposite message, right? Here are these parents who have stopped everything else they're doing, whose number one priority is to get their kids in the vicinity of Jesus. Uh, I think parents sometimes wonder, like, what is my responsibility as it relates to my children in the faith? And maybe the words from Proverbs come to mind. You, you remember these, train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. How many of you had that scripture written on the wall above the paddle at your house? <laughs> anyway, anybody else? Train up a child in the way they should go. Make no mistake about the way we want them to go. It's the Jesus way. Right, like we don't want to just go out there and find their way. We want them on the narrow way, which leads to Jesus. That's, that's what we want. Because we believe that there are things that Jesus can do for our children that nobody else can do. That's the first lesson in this passage. These parents have stopped everything else they're doing. These grandparents, everything else they're doing to make sure their kid is in the vicinity, in the presence of Jesus. All right. But then Jesus starts to talk, starts to act in the story. He sees these children, the disciples are trying to bring the children to him, and, uh, or trying to stop the children from coming to him, and he rebukes the disciples, tells the children to come to him. And now, have you, you know, we've been in the Gospel of Mark for a while now. Have you noticed in Mark how many stories are about kids in Mark? Let me just remind you, Jesus raises Jairus' daughter in Mark 5. He cast a demon out of the Syrophoenician woman's daughter in Mark 7. In Mark 9, there's a boy who's, who's got a spirit within him that throws him into convulsive fits. Jesus saves that boy. At the end of Mark 9, he takes another child into his arms. And then in Mark 10, he welcomes multiple children to him. Let me just... just point out, this is extraordinary. 
If you read other ancient literature written around the time of the New Testament, chronicling similar stories, it would be outlandish to find an account of an adult man who stops the important things he's doing to receive children. A man who stops teaching, stops in the middle of teaching to welcome a bunch of kids onto his lap like Santa. You are not going to find that in the ancient world. It's because at that time, kids meant nothing. They had no value. That's why especially female children were often left outside to die. It's why the church's earliest pro-life movement was saving abandoned babies. Because in that world, they didn't care about kids. Kids meant nothing. There was a rabbi, Jewish rabbi, around the time of Jesus. This is what he said. He said, morning sleep, midday wine, chattering with children, and tarrying in places where men of the common people assemble, destroy a man. Chattering with children. What's he saying? Hanging out with kids is bad for you. And so here's where I think this first lesson in this story comes, and this is a lesson, I think, for parents. I'm thinking especially of those haggard parents, and I know what that's like. And the lesson is, in what Jesus models, and what he says in welcoming these children to him, children are not a burden, they are a gift. They're a gift. And when you receive a gift, you stop whatever else you're doing to receive and treasure that gift. And Jesus is about to talk about stopping what you're doing and receiving something else, but the first thing he does is he stops what he's doing to receive these children, which is to say these children, kids, are a gift. I think about a family here at Highland who have... um, wanted to have a child for a really long time and been unable to. And I've known that this has been their heart's main prayer for years and years and years. And uh, not long ago, they got trained to be foster parents, uh, actually out there with Bailey Dempsey, who's got a booth out there about foster parenting today. They were trained by her and her associates to be foster parents. And not long ago, they received their first foster child into their home. And uh, it, it might be temporary, but I'll tell you what, I've never seen two people talk about sleepless nights with such joy. Because they know this little baby is a gift, is a gift. You know, I think, uh, I'm reminded as I think about that, of the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel. Remember the story? Hannah wants more than anything to be a mom. So she goes to the temple, and she's just pouring her heart out to God, like I think many women have come here and done, that God would give her a child. And this is what she prays to God. She says, Lord of heavenly forces, just look at your servant's pain and remember me. Don't forget your serving. Give her a boy. And then I'll give him to the Lord for his entire life. She says, if you give me the gift of a child I'm going to make it my life's purpose to give him back to you. 
right? And so then you see what the parents are doing at the beginning of this story, what Jesus is modeling where those two things intersect. Why do I stop everything else I'm doing to make sure my kid is in the vicinity of Jesus? Well, because my child is from Jesus and deserves to go back to him. He's a gift, and if there's a gift, there's a giver. And if I've been given this gift, it is my responsibility to return this gift to the giver, right? So I think that's the lesson in this story that the parents are teaching. There's a lesson that Jesus is modeling. But then Jesus does this thing that's kind of unexpected. I had this journalism teacher in high school, and she was like a, you know, a second mother to me, just really important in my life. And I remember I would sit down with her and she would talk to me about, you know, writing a news story and what the lead should be like and, you know, how to move from paragraph to paragraph. And she was one of those teachers, and you've probably had teachers like this, that she's talking about journalism, but you have a feeling she's talking about life. You know what I'm talking about? Like she's talking about one thing and you think, you're talking about something else. Jesus has these kids on his lap and he's showing people what a gift children are, not a burden, not something to be discarded, not something to be overlooked, a gift. And then he says, you know what? Well, I've got these kids on my lap. And while we're talking about gifts, let me remind you of something. He says, I assure you, verse 15, I assure you, whoever doesn't welcome or receive God's kingdom like a child will never enter it. Now that word there, welcome, like, like I said, literally means to receive. It's the same word we would use for somebody who's receiving a gift that someone else gives them, something they don't deserve. He said, anybody who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like the gift that it is doesn't deserve it. Um, will you do something with me? Get out your finger right here. <clears throat> and um, one of my favorite uh, ministers who I read and listen to often told a story recently about being in the presence of a Jewish rabbi who was doing some teaching on, on the Jewish faith, which we inherit as Christians. And he, he reminded those in attendance that in, in Judaism, in the Jewish language, the name for God is Yahweh, Yahweh. And in the Jewish language, there are no vowels, only consonants. So it's Y-W-H-W, um, four consonants, but really only three, Y, W, and H. And he made the point to those in attendance whom he was teaching. He said, um, he said, take your finger and put it under the bottom of your lip right here. And then he said, say Yahweh a few times. Yahweh. You can do it with me. Yahweh. Yahweh. He said, do you notice that your lips don't close? He said, in the Jewish language, those three consonants are the only consonants you pronounce without stopping the breath by closing your lips or pressing your tongue to the roof of your mouth. And then he said, what that means is that every breath you take is an exercise in remembering it's from God. Yahweh, Yahweh. It's from God. It's a gift. And that's what Jesus is saying here. 
He's got these kids on his lap. Everybody's looking at the kids. You know, he's making this point about what a gift kids are. But then he says, well, we're talking about gifts. Let me just point out, everything is a gift. From the first thing you do when you leave your mother's womb to the last thing you will do on this earth, every breath you take is a gift from God. Not something to fight against, not something to feel like it's a burden, something to receive like a child on Christmas. That the kingdom of God is a gift. And of course, that's where this lesson is for everybody. And that's where this story really comes alive because one of the central beliefs of our faith is that our salvation, the presence of God in our life, our forgiveness, the spirit living inside us is not something we earn. It's what? A gift. It's a gift. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 2. He says, you are saved by God's grace because of your faith. And this salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possess. You see what he did there? He's such a good teacher. Here he is talking about one thing, and suddenly he's talking about something much bigger. It's all a gift. <clears throat> Every week I, um, I'm writing down stories constantly that come to mind that I think communicate the good news in some way. And I think that's a, one of the graces of being a minister is that God shows me stories like that from time to time. But there are other stories, <clears throat> other things I experience that I feel like are just for me. And that sometimes to share those almost feels like a violation of something between me and God. I'm not only his preacher, I'm also his son. This this particular story happened, though, a couple of months ago, and um, just really felt heavy on my heart. I thought it was just for me, but while I wrote this sermon, I don't know, felt like something I would share. And so I share it tentatively, but um, I hope you'll receive it in the, the humility I intend to share it in. <clears throat> we had just gotten back from Texas. It was a long drive. You know, you can make it in about seven hours with kids, without kids, sorry, with kids, it's like 13. And uh, no, usually with kids, it's eight or nine hours, but we got caught up in the traffic. This was before the bridge reopened, so we got caught up in that traffic. I think it took 10 or 11 hours. And so we roll in, it's late, I've got to preach the next morning, so I'm stressing about that. And Lindsay knows when it's Saturday night and I haven't studied my sermon, I'm not super fun to be around. And uh, we roll in, it's late, we need to get the kids in bed. And so we, we rush the kids in the door, and I tell them to go play with those toys you haven't seen in a week. Something may have happened to them. You know, go, go check on the toys, because I just want to just get them out of my hair, because I've got to do, I've got to do what no one wants to do, unload the car. <laughs> and I'm not happy about it, and so all I want is to get those kids out of my hair, it's a, I try to send him away, and I start heading towards the back door, and Deacon, my youngest, who's almost three, senses that I'm about to leave. And he runs up beside me, and he tugs on my pants. He says, Daddy, what you doing? I said, I've got to unload the car, son. And he says, I help you, Daddy. And for the record, a three-year-old cannot help you with anything. <laughs> Nothing. And... Um, when he says, I help you, Daddy, what he means is, Daddy, I'd really like to come and be in your way. 
I'd really like to annoy you and make this thing you already don't want to do even worse. And so I tell him, no, buddy, just, just go play with your brothers. Go play with your, to- your toys. And he plants his little arms on either side of the doorway, and he starts screaming, no, daddy, I help you, daddy. And I say, fine, fine. Come help me. So we walk out to the car in the carport. I open the door. He closes it. <laughs> I hand him a little bag. It's got Lindsay's makeup in it. He, he hoists it up proudly and then spills it down the driveway. Mascara goes rolling down the driveway. I give him my pillow. It's light. I say, take the pillow inside. He says, okay. And he grabs it by the corner and he just drags it <laughs> all the way into the house. And I'll tell you, I'm about to erupt. I'm about to lose it. And I'll never forget, I'm standing there in the carport and he looks up at me. He comes back from carrying that pillow and he's wanting something else and he's just beaming. And I had this feeling inside One of those thoughts that you know didn't come from you. I looked down at him and I thought, he is a gift. Treasure this moment. Don't push him away. Treasure him. He's a gift. Immediately when that thought came into my mind, all the pressure behind my temples began to ease. I just looked at him and smiled, and I handed him something else, and he dropped it. (laughs) He helped me for a little bit longer, and he got bored, and he went inside. And as I was getting the last of the bags, I felt like, okay, God, you taught me what you wanted to teach me. And then I, and then I had this other thought. Eric, you know this is how it is with me and you, too. I've got big things to do. I don't need your help. But I love that you want to help me. Most of the time you're in the way. But I love that you want to be with me. And so I'm going to give you some bags to carry. And I want you to know every one of them is a gift. Yeah, isn't that... I mean, is it, isn't that like the great teacher to take your child and firstly to teach you something about him and you and then to teach you about you and him, right? It's all a gift.